science. just recovering uh, from all that New Year stuff going on where I ate things I don't normally eat in far greater <laughs> quantities than I, don't, than I normally pickled eat. Pickled walnuts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All that sort of thing. Yeah. Aren't they weirdly They're good? Really good, yeah. Yes, for sure. Who knows? <laughs> well, it's, it's, a, it's a Boxing Day thing. You, don't, you can't do it on Boxing Day. But, well, actually, I didn't eat any pickled walnuts. I don't know why I, I admitted to that. I wouldn't dream of eating such a thing. Anyway, uh, I am delighted to uh, be back with you, as are my friends, uh, my, my scientific consultants here, Andrew Glester, uh, Hannah Little, Josh Warren. We're all in the studio uh, for an hour of uh, science news, science chat, science behind the news, all that kind of thing. Uh, what we don't know, we'll make up. No, that's not true. We, won't, we, we, true. Nev- we never do. We usually admit when we don't know stuff so uh, there, you, there you go and um uh the, the but what i want to know is that more on a personal nature is how was your how was your christmas new year josh let's kick off with you i had a i had a wonderful christmas yeah i um and a new year was great as well. Away, away from away from Bristol, but with family. Yeah, I, I ended up going to Swindon with my girlfriend for a uh, for a New Year's. It was lovely. Yeah. Oh, Swindon! Yeah. Now there's the place. <laughs> that's on the, that's on my bucket list. Sunny Swindon yes. in the in the winter time. <laughs> no good, but you had a good time. It was lovely. Yeah, it was lovely. Yeah, great. Now, Andrew, hello. You've been showered showered with awards. Uh-huh. <laughs> Is one yeah. a shower? Um, well, well, we'll call it a shower. Okay. It's a, like a meteor shower where you only see one meteor, but it's a really good one. Oh, right? That's fantastic. Yes. So, yes, um, I, if I may show off slightly. Yeah, please. I'm inviting you to show okay. off. We're proud yes. of you. Thanks. Well, the Guardian newspaper selected my podcast, the Cosmic Shed yeah. podcast, as one of their favourite podcasts of 2018. Now... I have to admit, I find that quite shocking, but I'll take it. As, as do we. <laughs> the, the way people have responded to it makes me think that everybody else thinks it's quite shocking too. Um, but it's we're literally listed alongside This American Life and Caliphate. You know these amazing yeah. podcasts. Yeah. And then there's me and my ragtag bunch of mates. Well, that in is my shed. Fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's big congratulations. Well, big congratulations. That's no, it's no much. mean feat. Yeah. So maybe uh, will you be coming out of the shed from time to time uh, now I, because well, of this? And you've I, reached a kind of plateau now. The funny thing was, I was doing this. I had this stupid idea just before um, December of doing a, a, a advent calendar of the Cosmic Shed with a and a podcast episode every day, which seemed like a good idea until I realised that I had to make a podcast episode every day, uh, which takes quite a lot of time and effort. And I'm also still married, amazingly. <laughs> and uh, I think if the Guardian Award hadn't come, then maybe that might have yeah. been the end of our relationship. But I was, I, it, the Guardian told me that we were going to be awarded that thing just before I went to um, Inverness, just near the Moray Firth, for Christmas. So I had a few days up there, and I thought it'd be nice and relaxing. I'll just put out four average episodes of my podcast. Yeah. Just to tie it off. No one's going to be listening. It's nearly Christmas. And then The Guardian said, hey, you know what? 
you're one of our favourite podcasts of the year. Oh, that and is all so of a nice. sudden our listeners went through the roof, and I thought, oh no! <laughs> and so, so the listening figures, yes, yeah, yeah. Well, yes, of course. So People go, re- what is this yeah. cosmic show? So I had to record <laughs> four yeah. podcasts in a day, and yeah. then put them out before I went. So yeah, that, it, uh, I was in near the Moray Firth in, in answer to the other question, which you didn't ask me, which I assume you were going to. Well, I was for Christmas, uh, sitting on. I the would beach, have got there watching my uh, wife and daughter sit, swim in the Moray Firth. Oh man! On Christmas Eve and Boxing Oh day. wow! Now that that just makes me want to wrap up warm just yeah. hearing you say that. Yeah. Well, do you know what I did? I took photographs. Yeah. And also and went inside put and the it, kettle on. Yeah. So, which is two important things that need to be done in those circumstances. I often wonder, you know, when people do that, because there's a tradition, isn't there, for um, breaking the ice on ponds on New Year's Day. Have you seen this? Uh, or going in the sea, if you live near the sea. I know I have friends in Bristol who do it. They break the ice and go, in, go into the water. You think, what? What is wrong with you? I mean, what <laughs> what on earth possessed you to think this was a good thing? I mean, yeah. if anything's guaranteed... If you've got a dicky heart, I would have thought that mo- the one thing guaranteed to stop it mm. would be going in the water. Maybe they get themselves checked out. You mean stop know. the heart? Stop the heart, oh, yeah. yeah. completely, not oh. stop the dickiness of no, it. No, 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 stop I the dickiness yeah. of yeah. it. Yeah. I, it makes me think, because my daughter, last Laura, last year, she went on a roller coaster for the first time, right? She loved it. She hated it during it, and then she yeah. came off it. She was like, this is amazing. And I think it's a really good lesson for life that when you're going through the process of something terrifying, that when you come off, when you when you get out the other side of it, it's really good. And I wonder whether uh, it's like watching Star Wars, for yeah. example. You know, some terrifying yeah. things happen. During that. <laughs> but at the end of it, you're like, yes, that was awesome. I'm going to watch it again tomorrow, did or you maybe get, in the morning. But did you get some good Star Wars watching in over Christmas? As always, I think all the films were on over Christmas at one uh, point. Or yeah, another. do you know? I watched the Last Jedi just a couple of nights ago. I watched yeah. the Last Jedi again, and oh, it's such a great great film i can't get over how good that film is anyway enough about me <laughs> hannah what about what good christmas new year yeah yeah um i went up north oh i'm sorry <laughs> no need to apologize but you made it back again which is fantastic yes I, I drove all the way back um it's funny you should say about jumping in the sea um in the little town where my dad lives there's a little seaside town they have a boxing day dip um and and usually when I'm staying at my dad's house on, on, on Christmas night, I didn't this year because he's just bought two dogs and I'm allergic to dogs. Oh. <laughs> it's not great. Did you do that on purpose? I, I, imag- I can only imagine so. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> uh, but I usually get woken up by the sound of bagpipes coming down the street and that means that there's a, a parade of people running, running towards the, the sea. Um, and they really do run. Wow! In in bo- was the only way to keep warm. Yeah. Um, and then they just run straight into the sea. Wow! Run straight in. That, yeah. I mean, I guess that's probably the only way you can. Doesn't that ruin do the bagpipes? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing ruins bagpipes. <laughs> Apart from playing them. <laughs> wow. Well, you've you've had a very interesting Christmas. Um, I, I uh, well, um, Becky and I were entertaining family. Oh yeah. So uh, so we were doing lots of uh, cooking and uh, all that kind of thing. And there there was a, a moment when everybody went uh, just on New Year's uh, New Year's Eve, and we were alone on New Year's Eve, and we just we had a lovely Christmas. We loved seeing people, and 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 it was great. But we sat down uh, in the morning, New Year's Eve, and went. 
<sighs> nothing to do. We can watch television, we can read books and all that kind of thing. So it was just great. What did you watch? Did you watch anything good? I cannot remember. Oh. No, I was looking for I was looking forward to a couple of crime dramas. Yeah. And all those. I've seen a few science fictiony things. NASA and, uh, TV was quite good over the uh, Christmas break. What what TV? NASA TV. Oh right. Yes, yes. they were showing you know, oh uh, yes, Ultima Thule. Yes, uh, do you call it Thule or Thule? I, Thule. I, uh, they've been they've been doing honest. both. NASA itself has been doing both. That's the first mm. time I've said it out loud, so I, yeah. I didn't know how I was going to say it until I said it. Then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it doesn't sound. See, Ultima Thule doesn't yeah. sound right. No, but Ultima Thule. I don't know. That's yeah. uh, so, but but NASA itself has been saying Ultima Thule. I've just been oh. calling it the Snowman. Have you? The well, red. It's, snowman. It's, it's, it does it's look like snowman. a reddish yeah. Snowman, and yeah. it's made of ice. Yeah, yeah. Should we say what it is? <laughs> the Star Wars buddy is Neil. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the Thule... Does anybody know what the Thule bit means? Ultima presumably means last. Yeah, I but, did know. Uh, I'll find out. But Thule, OK. Well, Josh tells us what it is. I'll, I'll find out what it is. Yeah, <laughs> all right. OK. Uh, well, is it not just a, a glorified comet on the edge of the solar system? Oh, yeah, we know. I mean... I know what it is, and okay, we're going to talk about it later in the later in the show. We're going to come and talk about it. But um, what Thule means? Why they called yes. it Thule? Yeah, I'm or not sure. It, or is, it is the extreme limit of travel and discovery. So I, I guess Ultima is extreme, and Thule. I think that's Thule. Thule. That's right. Um, the phonetics thing on Google's telling me it's pronounced Thule. Oh right, um, there we go. It means. Uh, Travel or discovery, so the the, the ultimate first, journey, yeah, which is exactly the sort of thing, the ultimate discovery. Yeah. Oh well, well, let's hope not, because there's an awful lot more interesting stuff beyond that as well. Anyway, we'll talk. We'll talk about Ultima Thule uh, later later on in the in the program. Um, I just want to kick. Uh, we're going to dive into a, a, a story. One of the things I'm going to ask you later in the program is what you would like to see. Since this is the first program of the new year, is there something you're looking forward to or you hope that happens in science in the next 12 months? Before we do that, um, I'm assuming everybody here around the table is thinking, uh, well, you know, it's, uh, it would be great uh, uh, to go to Mars at some point. We'd all be in favour of that. But there is a story. This, this happened just before uh, Christmas. This is a rather miserable story, actually. In some, well, it depends how you look at it. Um, on, the, on the 24th, so, so on um, Christmas Eve, um, Bill Anders, who was the lunar module pilot for Apollo 8, said that the first human spaceflight to leave Earth's orbit... Uh, oh, sorry, I've got that completely wrong. He was the, the lunar module pilot of Apollo 8, which was the first human spaceflight to leave the Earth's orbit. So, very significant thing. He said sending crews to Mars was almost ridiculous. And he's kind of um, mocked the idea, or has been incredulous of the idea, uh, that uh, going to Mars, putting people on Mars, is a ridiculous idea. And he's saying, you know, what's the imperative? What's pushing us to go to Mars? I don't think the public is that interested. Now, I have to say, I'm, I disagree with that. I think there'd be enormous interest in us landing yeah, it, it would be it would be huge. It would be yeah. the, you know it, it would be one of those where were you moments. Yeah, yeah. 
I think so. I don't think it's us. I'll tell you a story, though, just very briefly, just to set this in context. Um, obviously, uh, I mean, I am old enough to remember, I was a kid at the time, but I, I, I remember when we landed on the moon, <coughs> so in 1968, and I sat up, I was allowed to be up all night um, and, uh, and watch this, and it was just absolutely incredible. Incredible moment. When we did it again, which I think if memory serves me right, it was about 18 months later, yep. some, something, uh, uh, something yep. like Seven that. Months. Um, I can remember I had, a, I had a girlfriend at that time. Well done. And uh, <laughs> uh, I was talking to her mother and I said, are you going to watch the moon, the moon landing? Was, oh, no, no, no. We've, uh, no. I mean, it was interesting the first time, but no, no, we've, we've done that. Now. Yeah. And I can remember as a kid, a teenager, being completely shocked that somebody would be uninterested in us landing on the moon so maybe maybe people will go yeah we've we've confused fact and fiction for far too long now it's addled our brains so if we land on mars or oh, well is that a story or is it real yeah it's a funny one isn't it i i'm often bemused by the public's um ease to get bored with something so incredible and the viewing figures are something insane for um, Apollo 11 landed on the moon and uh, it was, you know, billions of people watched it. And then Apollo 12, it's hundreds of thousands of people watched it. I mean, literally, it's that much of a drop-off immediately. Yeah. And then Apollo 13, when it all went wrong, uh, yes. everyone got interested again. It's, yes. oh, it's interesting, they might die in space. You know, that's yeah. not... That's not that's, it's, yes, it's interesting, it's terrifying, but yes. it's not more interesting no. than Alan Bean walking on the moon. No, the thing is, though, of course, it's not for us to tell people what they no, should be sure. interested in. You know, we're in Texas. But what we could say is... Is this is something of great significance? Yes, yeah. that's that's we're allowed to say yeah, that for sure. Yeah. Uh, but Bill um, Anders, who's the Apollo Eight person, he t- when he was in space, this is why it's quite an interesting thing that he said. This when he was in space, he took that image, the Earthrise image. Well, you, you'll all know it. It's got yeah. the, the the moon in the bottom of the yeah. photograph, and then the Earth in sort of uh, half the Earth. Yes, in, in, in suspended in space. Yes, right? yes. and it, it changed the way that we think of this planet. Yes, a person in space taking a photo yes. changed the way we think yes. about this planet because it changed our perspective. Yeah, and yeah. he's saying we shouldn't send people into space. I think that kind of misses the point of, yeah. of exactly what impact he had. Yeah. He also had another. I mean, personally, he had an impact on his life. He he was born and raised as a as a Catholic. And uh, that God had created him, his God had created him and everybody else in, in his image. And most of the astronauts who went into space found that um, whatever they believed or didn't believe was made, uh, was sort of reaffirmed by whatever they saw when they were out there. But Bill Anders had this experience where he went and he looked back at the Earth and went, ah, hmm. that's not quite so special. And he actually lost his faith as a result of going out. Really? Which is a huge thing for somebody to, to ah, have. I didn't know that. And that, that kind of impact, personal and for the rest of the yeah. world, I yeah. think that just, just his experience says yeah. why human spaceflight is yeah. worthwhile. Although for other people, it's kind of reinforced. No, for sure. Uh, absolutely. Uh, for like, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it means he necessarily no, was no. right or wrong no. beforehand or whatever. No, no. It's just that that kind of 
depth of thought yeah. is, is the result of, of human spaceflight. And to just say it's stupid to carry on doing it is, is kind of missing a large part of what yeah. we are as human Is human he just brain. grumpy then? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't... I mean, reading... Doesn't think the Earth's special. Doesn't yeah. think we should go to Mars. I, he's, what he's really doing is trying to big up the, the, the robotic missions that we're doing. He's talking about how amazing they are. But yeah. the story that the press have picked up on, obviously, because it's the fun one, is... He's saying that human human space travel is stupid. Yes, mm. but but there's something very significant, is that about a human being standing? You yeah. know, the first man or woman on on Mars. That's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's the first time we've gone to another planet. Yeah. Anyway, look, um, we're going to come back. There's going to be more spacey stuff in a minute. I'm just going to ask you quickly: are, are, are any of you fans of New Year's resolutions? No. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, do, I think you've got to choose them right. Because I did one about oh, about 15 years ago. I, had a, I did a New Year's resolution to watch more films. Ah. It was awesome. Yeah. And you did? So oh, you good, did. yeah. right. Yeah. So like, what, one a day or something? Uh, just more. I wasn't really watching films at the time, which is yeah. funny now, right? Oh, but I, yeah. I just, I, I was really interested in art and all these other things, science yeah. and things, and I thought, what? I didn't really get why people watch films more than once. Yeah. So... How, how things have changed. Josh, why aren't you interested in... Because uh, I don't feel I need to be told when, <laughs> when I have this, this uh, moral change in my life or, 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 or a, or a uh, change of heart about something. Or it, it's, like, it's like pancake day. I don't want to be told when I can have pancakes or not. I I, if I want pancakes, I'll have them. If, if, if I want to change something about my life, I just, I just do it. I don't wait until yeah. the turn of the year to, to change myself. <laughs> Are you a I'm a fan as long as, um, as long as the resolutions, for example, to do something more, like watching films or eating pancakes. Um, <laughs> or doing both at the same time. Or doing both at the same time, which is the best of all possible worlds. Um, but I don't like the ones that are giving things up um, because uh, it... Yes. it well, but also because human psychology is really weird, whereby if we decide we're going to give something up, the minute that we then do that thing, we think, well, it's all up in the air, there's no point in carrying on with this anymore. Um, so if you give up smoking and you have one one cigarette, like yes. that's it, you start smoking again, yes. rather than thinking that was a blip on an otherwise yes. kind of smooth trajectory. But I think if your resolution is something that's starting to do something more, so if you have a day where you just don't watch a film because you're too busy that day, then you don't for the rest of the month go, well, there's no point in watching any films now, do you? Yeah. You, you, yes. you, 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 <laughs> you carry on doing it. So it's it's about human psychology and what works and what doesn't, and, and whether we feel like we're punishing ourselves or not. I, you know, I think this is a really, really good point that you make because I, I'm, I, I've had oh, my whole life, I've had this thing. Where I thought, right, I'm going to do this. Not so much the giving up of stuff, but the doing of stuff. So, right, I'm, I'm going to learn French, you know. And so, you know, for the first three days of the new year, I get up uh, in the morning and learn 10 or 15 or 20 words of vocabulary or something. And then, and then I forget to do it or I don't do it the next day. And, and, and then that's it. But you, you're right, you know, this, the site. The, the trick is to say, well, so what? You know, I said I wouldn't eat bread, but I just couldn't. I had a piece of toast, but that doesn't mean the whole thing's died. Mm. You know, I'm going to... Mm. Uh, Did you do any? Have you got any? Um, I'm going to make sure I walk um, oh, yeah. more. That's a good idea. 
and uh, to try and be specific about that. So I have I live near the top of White Lady's Well. I'm very lucky to live up near the Downs at the, at the moment. And uh, so I walk from the top of White Lady's Road. Uh, and anybody who doesn't live in Bristol who's listening to this, <laughs> it's pretty much a continuous hill mm. all the way down, uh, uh, gentler in some places, but all the way down to the bottom of Park Street. And uh, I walk down... And then I walk back and I march at quite a pace. Yeah, yes. And I just think that could be good for me. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. What have you been doing previously? Having, having, uh, doing it just far more sporadically. <laughs> I have been doing that, but I'm doing it far more sporadically. So now it's like, right, three times a week, you know. But if it's only like once a week, Hannah, I'm not going to beat myself up. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll do you know try what you can do while it. you're doing that? What? Download the Love and Science podcast and listen back to yourself oh, chatting while excellent. you Excellent. You're listening to uh, Love and Science uh, on BCFM and uh, if you want to uh, we've already mentioned in the show uh, listen to uh, uh, more programmes uh, from Love and Science you can just go to bcfmradio.com uh, and uh, download uh, the programme or, or rather you can't download it you can stream it and you can listen to uh, all our back numbers and indeed uh, to uh, all of the uh, uh, programmes on BCFM, some excellent uh, programmes that uh, will keep you entertained for hours and hours. So we're looking at science in the news and science uh, behind the news and uh, we mentioned uh, just a little while ago the flyby of uh, this object, this strange-looking object in our solar system, right at the edge of the solar system, called, and we've established it's Ultima Thule rather than Ultima Thule. We ought to be, we ought to be saying, which means um, the uh, uh, most distant journey, or some, or something, or the ultimate journey, something like that. Um, what is this object? It's part of the Kuiper Belt, which is um, a lot of. Uh, very cold and frozen material on the outskirts of the solar system. Um, I was just reading it's something like uh, ten thousand kilometres past the past Neptune, something like that. Has someone got that there somewhere? I'm not well, sure. <laughs> yeah, ten thousand or t- t- right? Okay, yeah. not yeah, because it's a it's a very long way away. This this thing. Yes, isn't it, it is. It's, yeah. uh, uh, we're talking about was it 1.8 billion miles, I believe, something, mm. something of that sort. So it's a, uh, and it takes uh, several hours for information from New Horizons, which is the spacecraft looking at looking at Ultima Thule, yes. to reach us. So that's an idea of how how far away it is. Yeah, it takes eight hours. It's got such a. Such it a, takes eight minutes a, a, for information from yeah. the sun, light from the sun, to reach <laughs> us. So it's 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 a very very long way away. And it's got such a puny transmitter, something yeah. like fifteen watts or so. Yeah, that it's only able to transmit one kilobyte per second. Yeah. Which is tiny. If you imagine your Wi-Fi at home was like that, <laughs> we'd all be up in arms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, it, it's going to take months and months for it to send all of the, all of its data here. Even the even the image that it's managed to send back took took weeks and weeks for it to send. Yeah. Well, um, and uh, and it's part of this Kuiper Belt, which we know is full of of, of big rocks, basically mm. uh, beyond uh, uh, Neptune. So. What what is that then? Is that a debris field from planets that have been smashed up, or uh, yeah, well, it's leftover bits and pieces from the formation of our very own solar system. Yeah. So, st- by studying this, we can find out about 
but more about how this solar system was formed. But it's also it, it's reddish in colour. Yeah, you know, which we don't know exactly why that is. It could be because it's reddish. Was what is it? Something iron oxide. Iron oxide. Yeah, you know, like Mars. Yeah, or it could be that it's organic material on the surface. Right. But whatever it is, it's made up of the the Kuiper belt is made up of gases and um, in those uh, objects, gases and ices, which are contain the building blocks of life. Yeah. So by studying these things, we're studying our own beginnings and uh the it's from the new horizons so if, if anyone remembers as if anyone could ever forget the uh pluto images that we got recently from uh, you know last year or so yes we had those stunning images of pluto that we revealing it like we'd never seen before yeah and amazingly that, colorful yeah. planet and very busy yeah. very active planet absolutely and it's uh the, so the new horizons mission was des- designed to go to pluto yeah and then they they left earth in 2006 and got to pluto a year and a half ago or so and then once they got past pluto they were like oh that was cool yeah we're still going yeah yeah. let's look for something else and they found uh ultima Thule yeah as a an interesting object and what we've discovered is this thing that looks like an, a, a red snowman in yeah. space so it's, it's two balls which have collided yeah. But the way that the Kuiper belt works is, and we'll touch on this in another story coming up, yeah. maybe, is that when you're further away from um, from the sun, then you're moving around much slower than you are things that are closer to the sun. Yes. Yeah. Newton tells us that. Yeah. That's how Newtonian physics works. And Thank you, Newton. Things. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Newton. Good work, Apples. And the time, so these two things have have connected but anyone who's made a snowman knows that you have to put the head on quite gently otherwise it'll crush the other bits so we know that these two bits of rock and ice in space have collided with each other very slowly almost like a celestial kiss (laughs) <laughs> and then oh, how poetic Thank you very much <laughs> I, 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 I didn't know I was going to say it, it just happened <laughs> And, and um, so yeah we, we, it's, it's just a fascinating thing to think about I think um, Possible uh, organic material out there Way beyond Pluto even And uh, we're, we're actually getting images on scientific data about it Back from a spacecraft that left Earth in 2006 Pretty cool stuff Wow, that is amazing. It's just occurred to me as well, when you said it was, it's left over from the formation, or maybe there are collisions in some formation of the solar system, um, it may well have been that there are lots more planets at one yeah. point in our solar system. Yeah. That would have been interesting, wouldn't yeah. it? You imagine if instead of there being eight or nine, if you include Pluto, yeah. which is, it seems to me to be part of the Kuiper belt, is that right? Yes. Yeah, effectively. Near the um, uh, the, 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 the Maybe there could have been, you know, 10, 20 planets, you know, yeah. and uh, that yeah. would have been amazing. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to offend anybody who's listening in the Kuiper belt. I mean, <laughs> you are very much objects in your own right, yeah. not just leftover bits. Absolutely, yes. We should treat them with respect, <laughs> the people in the Kuiper belt. <laughs> to be clear, there aren't people in the Kuiper belt, just in case anyone's thinking. <laughs> we don't think so. Um, all right. Well, look, we're going to change the subject completely now, because uh, earlier on today uh, I was uh, able to talk to uh, one of the scientists who's doing some work 
work on um, in, in Greenland's, uh, Greenland's, Greenland's ice sheet. That was an interesting combination of words. Uh, Greenland's ice sheets. Um, because um, a, a kilometre down underneath uh, some of these Arctic ice sheets, uh, they've found copious amounts of methane, at least it, 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 it seems like that. And um, one of the team working on this, person who, who led the team, was uh, Guillaume uh, uh, Lamache uh, Ganvé. And uh, I spoke to him uh, this morning uh, uh, at, at his uh, home uh, in Montreal in, uh, in, in Canada. It's his, he's home for Christmas. He's normally uh, working here in Bristol. And um, I asked him really why uh, the team got interested in the first place in uh, the methane that was underneath the uh, ice sheets. Yeah, so uh, when we went to Greenland, we really were trying to uh, validate some some theories that have been put uh, together a few years back. Uh, so the presence of methane beneath uh, large ice uh, masses has been uh, hypothesized uh, to, to exist, um, but... Uh, not much had been done in terms of uh, empirical data. So when we started the research, there was um, some American team had found some high concentrations in Greenland near our site a few years back towards the, the end of the melt season. But it was still not clear when we did it uh, where exactly this methane was coming from. Was it uh, just from uh, some small sources near the ice? So, so when we started the research, we really wanted to, yeah, to test this uh, this theory. So um, how do you go about it? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining just looking at the reports I've seen in newspapers and so on, that you, you're, you're effectively camped out on, uh, yeah. on, on, on ice, which couldn't have been a terribly comfortable experience for all that time. <laughs> <laughs> well, so in our case, we were not co- uh, camped on the ice, so a lot of people do camp on the ice. We were uh, camped just in front of the ice, and, and that's because the, so the methane we were studying or the, the way we were uh, sampling the site was from meltwater. So in, in a lot of glaciers, and especially through in, in Greenland, a lot of the summer uh, melt, uh, before reaching the, the, the margin of the ice, in fact, enters the ice and reaches the bed through cracks like crevasses or holes called, called moulins. And so it, it gets into contact with this subglacial environment and then gets flushed out in a, in a proglacial river. Uh, so that's what we were sampling. So we were just camping in front, in front of the ice for a few months and collecting meltwater and deploying sensors in the meltwater to try to see how much methane and other uh, hydrochemical parameters were, were going on there. Uh, OK, so, so the methane dissolves in the water. You collect that water and you, you measure it. OK, that's clear. Why would there be methane? In there, yeah, in no, the, the first place. I mean, what? How? How does that happen? Because I, I understand that you're looking at um, this gas coming from something like a kilometer down. Um, yeah, that's a good question. So, so yes, yeah, so ice is frozen, but under under many glaciers and especially ice sheets, uh, you have uh, you have sections of the bed which contain liquid water. So the the liquid so the water uh, remains liquid because of the the high pressure that this overburdened ice is is putting on uh, on the bed. And then uh, as the glacier moves as well, it creates some some friction, some some heat. So you have some a lot of the ice sheet bed or the glacier's bed. Uh, have liquid water. We also uh, know now that well, these when when the ice sheet grew, it it overlaid uh, old soils and other things. So I have liquid water, probably uh, carbon as well. 
And then we now know as well we have uh, we have life under the ice. So we have a lot of microorganisms like bacteria that are living there. And then when you start adding up these these conditions, and then with long ice cover time, you you don't think you will find a lot of of oxygen as well, because uh, you don't have a clear connection with the surface for most of the year. So you have an isolated environment with liquid water, with bacteria, with some carbon, and these are the types of conditions uh, elsewhere on Earth, for example, the bottom of lakes and marshes, uh, at the bottom of the ocean, where uh, microorganisms are converting this organic matter or other stuff, or uh, some inorganic carbon as well, and, uh, and can gen- generate methane. So that's where this, this idea uh, came from. So presumably, all this organic material uh, comes from a time, you know, we're, t- we're talking about plants and animals and things that will, will have thrived um, when the climate was very different and since it's been covered by ice. Is that, is that basically it? Yeah, so that's, uh, that's one of the source. Uh, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, and another source um, so that we were also uh, looking for is a recently another group at Bristol, in fact, uh, they saw that uh, when the ice moves, uh, it crushes the rock underneath. And this crushing of the of the bed as well releases some nutrients and uh, in this case some hydrogen gas, which can also be used by microbes to to generate methane. So you have these two potential energy sources, if you want, so the carbon and the hydrogen that could be available for microbes. Some of the reports have hyped this a bit, saying that um, scientists have discovered that uh, far more methane than than is to be expected yep. is being put into the atmosphere. That's not exactly what you're saying, is it? No. So, well, first of all, like the so, so we're not changing how much methane is coming up from the Arctic. So we already know the the methane concentration in the atmosphere. Uh, so what we're saying is uh, maybe some of the source of, of of the methane in the Arctic, in this case, uh, may be coming from ice sheet. And I think a lot of the hype maybe that was put uh, around our study was uh, how much was coming to the atmosphere, degassing into the atmosphere, which is which is the ultimate question. But, but in our study, we didn't really uh, focus on this. So we did show that uh, a lot of methane that is being exported from the ice is reaching the atmosphere. But the, but the numbers we put, put out are really, really conservative, if you want, first, uh, first assessment on this process. So it was more about uh, whether there was methane and the, the, the process, how is this methane is exported. And we show that this is a, a continuous process. And we're also trying to account for the for the sources of the methane, the sinks of the methane, because you have some other mechanisms that people have uh, suggested that could mitigate these exports. So we were focusing on these things. Uh, but yeah, so we so we did show that uh, melt throughout the melt season is is flushing out these subglacial methane sources. It's coming from microbes. Uh, big melt events uh, coincides with big uh, methane pulses, but the uh, but but the exact degassing number. Uh, so we still need a uh, a lot of studies to 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 to, valid, to, to really get a, a better estimate. Okay, and, uh, where, and where next? This, yeah. And where next? Some some of the reports are saying you're 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 going to go to the Antarctic next. Is that right? <laughs> well, I think that's where a lot of people will go. So whether or not I personally will, uh, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, I will. Uh, um, but the, the the thing with the Antarctic is uh, it's because it's um, well, it's a much bigger ice mass, and and we think that the subglacial system in Antarctica is much more prone to to uh, to accumulate much much larger uh, reserves of methane. So even though 
currently the Antarctic is not melting as fast, as quickly as other ice masses on Earth, but we're thinking in the medium to longer future, then it will be important to know uh, how much methane there is and if this could lead to, to, to rapid releases to, to the atmosphere or not. Guillaume, thank you so much for uh, talking to us. Uh, stay warm and uh, take care. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. We ought to remind everybody what it is that we, we do. So, Andrew, I'm always saying you are a resident astro- astronomical person. You do a podcast. Yeah. You've got a background because you did a whole course in astronomy, and that's your big passion. Yeah. You run the Cosmic Shed, for which we've already noted you've won an excellent award. Um, Josh, of course, yeah. you, uh, you're a teacher by trade. I am. I'm a physics teacher, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. now doing studying science communication. Do you still do some teaching while you're while you're studying? Li- yeah, a little bit part time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you got your work cut out. <laughs> yeah, I'm very busy. <laughs> and Hannah, I I like telling telling people this as as, as well because it's re- it's really interesting. Hannah, you're you're a lecturer, as am I. Is one of the things that I do too. Is a, a lecturer at. Um, uh, where do we lecture? Oh yes, UE, University of <laughs> West of England, and and. Um, uh, you, of course, are, are, are full-time there. But you do so much else with your time. One of the things I love about you is you're a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Which I think, I've all, I, whenever I talk about this, I, I say that's one of the scariest things I can ever imagine doing. You know, I give loads of presentations and things, but if people don't laugh at anything I say that I think is funny, it's fine. If you're a stand-up comedian, how terrifying is that if yeah. people don't laugh? Well, it's exactly what Andrew was. It was exactly what Andrew was talking about um, earlier. Type two fun, we call it when you when you are terrified during something, but you uh, really enjoy the fact that you've done it afterwards. So, like going on a roller coaster, <laughs> type two fun, or, I like or watching Star Wars was yeah, another yeah. example. Um, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but we've got a show coming up actually on the Great. on the twenty fourth of January uh, at the Crofters' Rights, just up um, Stokes Croft. Um, in the evening, we've got um, it's called the No Show, so that's K N O W. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah, I did not come up with the name. <laughs> um, and so I'll be doing stand up there, but it's actually a science comedy variety night. So there's all sorts of um, sketches and performance pieces. So it's not strictly all stand up in the way that something like Bright Club is. I think I've talked about Bright Club here before. Which yep. is only stand-up comedy, um, but this is also and place where people can learn to do stand-up comedy yeah. as well with Bright Club. But this this one now, if you want to go to this, um, where do you get tickets from? So uh, tickets uh, you'll be able to get off. Um, we're selling them through, through Head First, but you'll be able to find the link on Facebook if you um, Google Sci by Southwest. So that's Sci and then an X. Southwest, um, and it'll be linked from there. But if you just Google Bristol North Shore into Facebook, I'm sure you'll find it. Great. I just used the word Google yeah. to describe a Facebook search. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. If you just Google no, as in K N O W, show Bristol. It's right. There. No show, Bristol. Great. All right. Well, thanks for that. And we, we hope you have a have a really good night. And if you uh, and it, it sounds like a good night. Those of you who are in Bristol, around Bristol, have a have a look at that. No, no show. Bristol. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm blind. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, look, the, j- j- we just quickly got time uh, to look at as a story has been all over the place. Um, uh, but it's happening on the moon. The Chinese are now exploring the dark side of the moon. 
Wow. Yeah. The so far we can't... side of the moon. All right, all right, all right. Yes, because it's, <laughs> it's only dark to us. Yes. It's only dark. That's the point, isn't it? And we don't get to see that side of the moon because we are... Uh, Tidally locked. Thank you. We're tidal- So as the moon turns, so we turn, so we, we, uh, we never see it. Um, so this is absolutely amazing. And um, just, I mean, why? <laughs> what is to be gained from doing... I mean, this is a fantastic achievement which must have been very difficult but what stands to, what do we stand to gain from landing on the far side of the moon well i think one of the interesting things about it is that the uh, the lander has brought with it some live plants and seeds and things it's brought some spuds to the moon mm-hmm. right and they're going to see if they can uh well I suppose plant them, I guess, and see, yeah. if, and see if anything happens. I, I love the idea of there being a shed, you know, like a cosmic shed. Yeah, a cosmic shed on the moon, you know, and somebody comes out and starts digging, you know, and watering every day. Yeah. Hey, I've just got to say a big uh, Happy New Year to John Ford because he's coming to the studio. Hey, John, it's great to uh, see you. Yeah, Happy New Year to you. Yeah, oh, let me f- let me fade there. Yeah, try that again. Yeah, Happy New Year oh, to you. Oh, thank you. There you go. Yeah. On, on, why, why don't you do the greeting that you did when I came in the studio earlier? <laughs> yes. Well, I, I, was, I was saying to people, yeah, I'm trying out new greetings, you know, because you know, Happy New Year is old hat, isn't it? I'll still say that, but you know, why not uh, something like May your arms and legs never fall off, John? It's very kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very positive threat, very, very, very positive thing to say. Um, Peace th- be upon you. Thank you. You did thank- say that as well. Yes, which is what they say in the Islamic world, isn't it? It, they do, yeah, they, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, it's sh- shalom in Hebrew and is, yeah. salam in Arabic. Oh, yeah, salam, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, this landing on landing mm. on the far side of the moon. Yeah. Now, I am I right in thinking technically this is incredibly difficult because we don't because we're blocked by the side that we can see. So we can't, you know, sending radio signals yeah. and stuff like that to tell landers to do things. Yeah. Incredibly hard. Yeah, it is. And this spacecraft had to do it all on its own, really. It, can, it can't communicate. It was told how to do it and then told how to land. So it went round the far side of the moon and then autonomously landed on the moon. And then the difficulty here is that, obviously, it's on the far side of the moon, so it can't send radio directly back to us. So it has a satellite which China launched in May last mm. year, which is sitting in a Lagrange point. And right. the Lagrange point is a point in space where two big celestial bodies, their gravity reacts in such a way that there's sort of a space where they don't move. Something doesn't move in space if it's there, sort of. And that okay. is where this satellite is sitting. So the thing on the far side of the moon, U-2-2, yeah. amusing, can, um, can send its signals to this satellite and then then be beamed back to earth and uh josh was saying about one of the things there which is this um box with potatoes yeah uh, flowers so one of these plants is a flower and it might be the first flower on the moon but what i think one of the most exciting things is it's going to test whether (laughs) john's looking very bad no i'm just thinking this is a chinese expedition isn't it yeah well you'd think they plant rice wouldn't you yes yes. and uh i think one of the most exciting things about it is well there's two really exciting things one is that the the creator the crater that is landed in is one of the largest if not the largest 
craters on the moon. It was caused by a huge impact. And the, the theory is that it, um, it, it went into the surface quite significantly, about 15 kilometres, I think, wide it is anyway. But it went into the surface and sent some of the internal matter of the moon up onto the surface so we can study some of the internal stuff on the moon. And the other thing is that it, it's going to test whether we can use the far side of the moon for radio astronomy because obviously the moon might be a good way of shielding all the radio that we have on earth and we might get some really good radio data by using the far side of the moon pretty cool stuff i imagine donald trump is worrying that the chinese have gone on the far side of the moon so we can't see what they're doing (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is the story that changi 4's spacecraft touched down the far side of the moon at 10 26 beijing time on thursday lunar exploration chief wu weiren echoed neil armstrong's famous quote telling the state media the event marched a huge stride for china and let's say for humanity Uh, john was there anything we left out yeah, you forgot to mention on that subject that this day in 1610, Galileo dated his first letter describing um, that he'd seen through his 20-powered spyglass that the moon had craters on it not too dissimilar to the Earth. He documented ah. that. I just proceed that because it's quite a long thing. Yeah, yeah. We wouldn't get it in. But yeah, this day in 1610, he discovered that the moon had craters and mountains and, and so on, not too dissimilar to the Earth. So oh, fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. And now, and now we're, we're going there. That's absolutely incredible. Well, look, uh, don't forget to stay tuned uh, because after the news, John Ford is getting uh, Bristol home. Uh, it's been our pleasure to be with you. So from Andrew, Josh, Hannah and me, Malcolm Love, have yourselves a very good evening. Don't forget to to join us again next week for another edition of Love and Science. Love and Science.